But we're coming Daf Nun Hey. We're starting from the very bottom of Daf Nun Dalit Amavei. So we're, it's a little bit of a tangent. But yesterday we were talking about uh, the Shmir Shabbos that it says in the Torah. We're talking about Behema, all the, all the animals, the species they can't work for you on Shabbos. And we noted that there were some differences between the way it's written in Parshas Yisro and Parshas Veschanan. That was part of the cloud, part of cloud that we explored. So now the Gemara notes other differences between uh, the Luchos Rishonos and Ruchos Shniyos. So Shabbos Rabchanin Ben Algel is Rabchanin Barabbam Neimah B'Dibri Rishonos Lodemar Mitov. Why is it? In the Luchos or Rishonos, the word Tov is not mentioned. The Bidim Sachronos in the Pashat Paschana, in the second Luchos, Nemar Behem Tov. There it says Tov. What are we talking about? So Rashi tells us that we're talking about by Kibir Avaim. So it says, honor your parents. But in Pashat Paschana, it adds more. It says, Man Yitav Lach, so that there will be Tov. So why is it that that's only in Paschana that this idea of it being good for you will, will emerge? So I'm below. Before you ask me why, you're asking me, assuming that that's true. You ask me why good is mentioned in the Asar Sevisha. Why don't you ask me if good is Bechal said there or not? I really don't know if the word Tov is there. Now, this is obviously a very appalling thing. What does that mean? He doesn't know the Pasuk. So there's a lot of different ideas here. But one of the ideas that Akronim says is that we don't know what was written on the, on the Luchos. Meaning just, there, there's one issue of like the, the Kriyas Torah, what it says in the Sefer Torah. That's one issue. Okay, there you can open the Sefer Torah and see it says Taif in, in Parshish Veschanan. But the Shailah is what was Nichtav on the Luchos. And that's not so true necessarily that it's ver- verbatim that when the discrepancies in the way we have Parshish Veschanan. That's p- possibly part of the Sophic. So he's saying instead of asking me why it says good only in the second Luchos and not the first Luchos, why don't you ask me if it does? So what was Advice. Instead, go to Rabbi Tanakamon Chilai. Show you Rabbi Shuv and Levi. He always was around by Rabbi Shuv and Levi. Show Baki Bagada. He was an expert in Agada. So since he's a Baki in Agada, he's going to know the answer to this. So as a Rabbi, he goes to him Rabbi Tanakamon Chilai to ask him. He says that I didn't hear anything about this from Shuv and Levi. This is what was said to me by the uncle of Rabbi some people say he was the maternal grandfather of Achabarachinai. What is the answer? There's no good in the first Luchos because they were destined to break. So what exactly is the Gemara saying? So the Gemara jumps on that. Yeah, they're destined to be break. Yes, Moshe broke the first Luchos, but why is that a reason not to say good? If they're going to destined to break, what is that? Why is that a reason why you wouldn't say good? We don't want it to be that the Taiva has been cut off from Kaisa. So meaning to say, the simple plan of the Gemara is that if it would say Tov, and Tov would be destroyed, so then, you know, good, the good that connects Kaisa and Nebisho would be destroyed. But now that it didn't say Tov from the outset, so then, you know, you didn't lose that. So this is obviously a very interesting concept, but it seems that there's... Um, you know, it's like one of those things where less is more, and the less becomes more creative and innovative. So this is one of those things. There's a whole tire about this, but basically the first luchos were more than just a different nusach. They were really a different mahalach, a different way of learning. Uh, there wasn't going to be this whole pilpul where you, you know, you break your head over it until you figure out some chiddush. That's all what we have in luchos shniyos. Luchos rishonos represents, you know, the perfect ideal system where Torah is absolutely clear from the Eibushda. Luchos shniyos, that's the zitz, that's the amelus patayra that comes about from psol when we have to come back and crawl back to the Eibushda, so on and so forth. So what the Gemara is saying is that there's taiva only in the second one, not the first one, because the first ones are broken. The prat is that the idea of goodness, goodness is brought out only through the imperfection, not through the perfection itself. The imperfection where there's more to do, <coughs> more to work on, so on and so forth, that's where there's the taiva. But the first ones which are broken, which represents a perfect system which cannot endure, which cannot be sustained, so that's that. That's not where the taiva is. Says the Gemara, somebody who sees 
in his dream, the letter Tess. So when Yafalo, it's a good it's a good omen for him. My time, what's the reason Tess is a good omen? If you say it's because it says Tov, Tov is spelled uh, with a Tess. So aim of it with the seven, but the Ashman, but he was going on this pasuk where it says Viteti Sia, which means I'll I'll clear it out, like I'll sweep it out from Ateta with the broom of Hashmade of destruction. So I see that the letter Tess in that word Viteti Yasaha clearly is a reference to something negative. It says the Gemara Chat Tess coming. We're talking about someone who sees one test, not two. Now, the Tetia has two has two tests. So therefore, it was, if it was a bad omen, there would be two tests. The fact that it's only one must mean that it's alluding to the positive word of Tov. Same says the Gemara Ema Tum Look at that. Her impurity is on the hem of her garment. So here we see in a negative context with one test. Tumasa says the Gemara test base garment. We're talking about not someone someone who sees a test. A test, you're right. It's a toss up. You don't know what it refers to. We're talking about someone who sees in his dream both a test and a base. That is a good omen because the word tov has both of those letters. Says the Gemara, but ima Maybe it's referring to her gates have sunk into the earth. So tavu to sink. That is a test and a vase. So the Gemara goes back to its original understanding now that only a test was seen in the dream. I, how do you know it's Tov? Says the Gemara, The first time that you'll find a test in the Torah, it's used for a good omen. From all the way to the beginning of the Torah, in the first passage, until you get to the end of the There's no test. In other words, the point the Gemara is making is that the first time test appears in the Torah is in that word Tov. So yes, later on, of course, there are tests that are used for negative things. And the letter test would seem to be a toss-up. You can always trace something back to its origin. The first time something appears in the Torah has very deep meaning. This is, you know, this Kumar is the Makar to so much different uh, Torah. Why is that? First time that word appears in the Torah, it's like, it, you, know, you know, it's all kind of based upon what we see in the Gemara, that there's something about this, the first time. And that's what the Gemara is saying, is that the first test in the Torah is good, and therefore, test is forever uh, considered the good omen. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Shuvan Levi, Aroa Hesped Wachalam was someone who sees a Hesped, a eulogy in his dream. What is an indication? So, Hesped, we're saying, is that Chasu Allah Mina Shemaim, they have had compassion for him in Shemaim, Upatau, and they redeemed him. So, Chasu, coming like Hes and Ped. So, He and Ches are a little bit interchangeable. So, Hes means Chas, to be spare. And then Ped is like Pedo'u, to be redeemed. That's only true if it's shown to him. In writing, in other words, if you're seeing an actual eulogy, that's negative. But if you're shown the letters, um, that's where that's where it's good. Says the Gemara, we're going back. We're talking about kalayim. So you're not allowed to pair the different species together. So we said that it applies not only to shavachamar, but it applies to all domestic animals and to wild beasts and um, birds as well. So Amar Amar here Rebbe has shown us pasioni. If I have a chicken, a peacock, or some other sort of bird, kalim they are kalim with one another. Why? How do I see this? So it's not so clear. Just for just hold off on one second. The Gemara says pshit. That's obvious. They're, they're different things, right? We're saying any two species. Why? Why would you think different? These things they do live together. In other words, they're like you know they're they're, they're cousins. They hang out a lot together. So it, it seems that they they can bear offspring from one another. You might say you know they. They live together, so maybe that just reflects that they're all one big general species. No, they are actually three distinct categories. So how? Okay, very clear. So we're saying that there is something that grows together, they, they live together, and still they're distinct, and they are kalim. But how did Rish Lakish say, Khan Shana Rebbe, that here Rebbe has shown us? How do you see that from our Mishnah? So it would seem that because he said in one phrase that the Itzah Kalim applies to a Chaya and an Aif, it means that birds have the same type of Dini Kalim as wild Chayas. And there is a Mishnah in Kalim, 
that speaks about chayos that are similar and live together, and it still says, but Lamaisa, if they're different species, they're collide with one another. So the fact that Rebbe here wrote chaya next to Ov, <clears throat> and by chaya we know that their species are different even though they grow together, even though they live together. So we know to apply that to the birds as well, even though they live together, but Lamaisa, they're collide if they're different species. Says the Gemara, Shmuel, Avos va'avos avor. If I have a goose and a wild goose, climbs up his head. So it's two different things: the goose and the wild goose. What's the difference? How do you know they're distinct? Right? Just because one lives in the wild and one lives in the in, in the domestic area is not a reason for them to be a different species. Let me show you. Are Must be. You're going to tell me there's physical difference. This one's beak is long. This one's beak is short. Consider a case of a one type of camel from Persia versus the camel that comes from Arabia. One, the Arabic one, and one, the Persian one. The eye, all in koi, the eye, one is a neck which is thick, and one's neck is thin. You're going to tell me that they're climbing with one another? In other words, what we're saying is that small, minor variations don't define a difference in species. It's got to be something more distinct than that. So the beak being a different length is not going to cut it. So the Lord says, Elam Marbai, what's the difference between the domestic goose and the wild goose? That basically with the male, the, the male wild one, the testicles are on the outside. Whereas the other one, the, the, the domestic one, the testicles are internal. So that's enough of a difference that really is enough of a distinction that it defines it as two different categories. Says the Gemara, that's for males. And for the females, we see a difference as well. The wild female one has one egg per gestation. The other one uh, has many eggs in one, in one gestation. So that's another very clear, distinct physical difference. And, um, and therefore, they are different species. Okay, so goose, you have the wild goose and the domestic one, they are in fact aligned with one another. Says the Gemara, Omar, Somebody made two different creatures with uh, that live in the sea. He gets malchus for the Isra of Kalim applies even in something that applies to, um, to the fish. Okay, the Gemara seems to be talking about not regular fish, right? That's the point, it's pointing these out. Because regular fish, it seems like it's very like impossible. How does a human being mate two different types of fish? But there are certain types of aquatic, you know, creatures over here, medium shabayam, more more animals that happen to be in the sea, those types, and that's what the Gemara's referring to. My time, how do you know that it applies to the water <coughs> to the water here as well? So big shilas, what do you mean? Didn't we like learn that whatever applies on Shabbos applies here? So Taisa says, actually, the idea is that it's very abnormal. A person would never use such an animal for work for them. So therefore, you don't really know the Torah was talking about it when it was talking about Shabbos. So therefore, now that we get to Kalayim, since the whole way we know it's other animals, it's from Shabbos, that's why we're not so sure if these things apply to Kalayim. So the Mars says, from land animals. Just as you can't have different types of land animals, so too, uh, the, these aquatic creature, creatures you cannot have um, as well. In other words, what, we're going back to the Sukkim and Bracious, where the creatures of the sea says, and it also says with the wild and domestic animals, it says, so therefore, since it says, by both types, so we say just as one, you can't have Kalim, so to the other, you can't have Kalim. Even the aquatic creatures, the din of Kalim applies. All right, says the Gemara Bali Rachwa, Amanak Vishibuta. What an interesting case here. A guy has a wagon and it's being pulled by a goat and a fish together. Not so clear exactly what the Shibuta is, but it's some sort of big fish, obviously very strong, strong. And it, 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 the goat and the Shibuta are pulling it together. So, after obviously, the fish is in the water. So, the case is that the wagon has to be right on the riverbank and you're hitching it to a goat that's walking, you know, right on the shore. And the fish is swimming alongside in the, in the water. 
So the Gemara cries, Ma, what's the din? What's the Israel Kalim? Me, I'm going to give you the Israel Nachos by Yam, since the goat can't go in the sea. Shibut, the Sagli Abash, and the Shibut can't go in the dry land. No plum of it. You haven't done anything. Meaning, the Yisoid is that we can't see that a union together between these two. Are they, is the work partly being done by him and partly being done by him? Yes, that's true. But is there a union? Is there a, is there a joint? A joint combination between them because they're doing the job together. There's not. They're leading the wagon together, so they're violating this against doing work with two species together. So the Gemara is a lot more lumdish than at first it sounds like. It's like Gemara is not just bringing out you know a weird point that one wouldn't go here, one wouldn't go here. The Gemara is trying to find out what is the makar, what is the essence of the iser against joining two species. Is it the iser that the iser is the malacha? Don't do malacha what on it when the other ones do malacha as well, or is the nakuda that through doing malacha together, the child is you're joining them together, and that's the big nafkamina is that here they're pulling it together, but they're not really becoming enjoined. The place where one is, the other one cannot be. So Maska Ravina, Ravina hits by back. Think about a case. Kalai and Kilei's run applies only in Eretz Yisrael. Imagine a case. The person has a wheat and barley in his hand. He plants them right on the border. The wheat grain is inside Israel. The barley grain is right outside of Eretz Yisrael. And remember, Kilei's run only applies in Israel. Maybe you'll tell me he's Chayef. Meaning, if it's about the joining of the two seas that, that is Aser, then it cannot be an Iser because you can't say that they were enjoined together uh, in, inside of Eretz Yisrael. There's not, they didn't become a unit inside of Israel. But if we're saying that it's the Maisa that's Aser, even if they're not necessarily joined in one unit, then you could say it's Aser because the, 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 the Maisa is done with each of these seeds. So the Maisa that I'm doing of planting the wheat, which is landing in Israel, is a Maisa of planting Kalayim since it is mixed with barley. I, the barley seed is not in Israel, so what? But the Pshat is that Maisa of planting, of planting the wheat is still a Maisa of planting Kalayim. So it's mamish interesting. It's like the same thing over there. It's always saying don't plant the two seeds together. Is it Stam, the Maisa like independently, don't plant this and don't plant that if they're together. And then I could say, okay, well the wheat's in Israel, so I'm doing the Maisa Israel. Or is it Pshat is through plant, doing the Maisa on both, I'm creating a unit, I'm creating a new joint thing of the wheat and the barley together and that's the Israel of the unity and and and, and that's not taking place necessarily in Eretz Israel. So the same way that's not Aser, so to hear by mating says the more it's not really a good comparison. There the Pshad is that the land of Eretz Israel is a Makom to become liable for climb. But anything outside Israel is not part of liability. So if you if you plan just as if you plant both seeds outside of Eretz Yisrael, you're not liable. So to hear, the, the seed that outside of Eretz Yisrael is irrelevant. And therefore, it can't shaf and iser, even clape the one seed which is in Eretz Yisrael. But hacha, with the goat and the other, and the, and the, and the, and the shibuta, both the places are, are areas of climb liability, of liability. Meaning, if you'd hit two different types of species, let's say it's being pulled by two shibutas in front of the water, or two goats on the river, on the, on the river bank, of course, you'd be chayev. So fundamentally, it's a makam chayev. The shayla just is, are these, could these two things combine? So we could say that they could combine. So the Gemara is saying that there's an interesting difference, so therefore we haven't we haven't uh, resolved it just by comparing it to the case of one seed in Israel, one seed outside of Israel, and therefore the question remains. Okay, now we learn about the level of Shmirah that is needed to prevent one's uh, sheep. We're going to go away from the ox and we're going to talk about the sheep. The Gemara is going to make note of that. But we're going to talk about the level of Shmirah that's necessary from the owner's from the owner's standpoint, uh, to, to protect and guard them against doing damage. Akoni so that deer, somebody brings a sheep into the deer. The deer, it's like an enclosure where, where they're left. Um, and usually they, what they would do is they would, they, 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 the owner is doing it to make fertilizer and he leaves them in the pen. So he's putting them in there. And all the Funakarai, so he, there's a gate and he makes a lock. He puts a lock and he does it uh, properly. The Gemara say, what does properly mean? The Maisa escapes and damages the property of someone else's potter. He is not liable to damage. Why? Because the Maisa, 
he made a guarding. Rashi says, my what else could he have done? Now, Rashi just understand, it's not so literal. He could have done better, right? We're going to see in the Gemara, this wasn't the ultimate lock over here. But the point is that the Torah doesn't require him to do more. So my means not in a simplistic thing that there was nothing more I could have done, but what it means is that what more am I expected to do? That's the point. And it's really going to come from the, the level of Shemira and the expectations that the Torah has, as we'll see in the Gemara. Low enough on but if you didn't lock the gate properly, if you have to and it goes on damages, then he is liable. Because he didn't guard the way he should have. Nifritz up a let's say it got breached at night. In other words, it, it was locked properly, but it was some something very unexpected happened. Why it was breached? It was breached at night, which we list him, or the robbers breached it, Vyasu Vizika, and that's how it got out. Potter, he is not liable. Um, the point is that at, at night specifically, because if it would be the day, the owner has to uh, has to make it better and prevent it from making the damage. But at night, no one knows. He's not going to he's not going to be notified about it. So therefore, he's less liable. What's well, you list him? But if the robbers are just able to take it out, so now what? So now a whole new halacha. So I'm not liable because again, I don't have to expect it that the list are going to come and break open the uh, the the. the the lock that I made. But but if the robbers now take it out, a new day and list them chayavim, the robbers become liable. Meaning, we're learning a whole new dimension here. They become gazlanim, right? They're stealing. As soon as someone, you take something when you, that belongs to somebody else, you're making a kinyin gzeilanin. So this is a very subtle point. Definitely the second half of Baba Kama, we'll talk about this more. But the basic idea is that even though it's not fully yours when you steal something, it becomes under your jurisdiction to the extent that you have to watch it. If anything happens to it, you're liable back to the owner. So that's what's happening. The mission is now get, making that point that if the robbers take it out, so they're making a kinyin on it, so now they're liable for any damage it does. I'm always potter because I guarded correctly when I locked it. Now, the question is, if the, if the robbers would just make a breach in it and the animals walked out itself, so then the robbers never made a kinyin, they'd also be bothered. But here, if the robbers take out the animals, so the robbers have made a kinyin on it, so then the listing would become chayim. If you left the sheep in the sun, you gave it over to a deaf mute. Or the, the shota or the katan. The owner is liable. So here, the point of the sun is that it makes it so uncomfortable that even putting it in a right normal way doesn't suffice because, you know, it, it, it has to be something that can withstand the desperation of the animal. When it's in extreme sun, it's going to be desperate to leave. So if you don't, you're going to put a good cover. Right? The Gemara is going to say always that a good lock is something that can withstand the normal wind. Okay, but if you put it in the, in the sun, it's very good to withstand the normal wind, but then you know that the animal is going to be desperate to leave. So just making a, a, a lock that can withstand the normal wind isn't good enough because you know that it's going to be trying to get out. So therefore, or if you gave it over to these people who don't watch it properly, so then you're liable. But sorry, the rough, if you gave, gave it to a shepherd, okay, so that's a responsible human being. So then I didn't do anything wrong. So now the shepherd has a responsibility instead of him. Let's say it somehow fell into the garden. It was like an accident. It fell off the roof into the garden. So this is considered something that you you weren't liable in anything for. But Lamaisa, it benefited from the produce that was in my friend's garden. I don't have to pay for the damage. I don't pay the damage, but I pay for the value of the benefit. Even when you're potter for paying for the damage, because I guarded it, I guarded it normally. I didn't do anything negligent, but I have to pay for the benefit. This is a different yesite. Besides for paying for Hezek, besides for Baba Kama Chiyuvim, you have a general idea, and we touched upon this previously in the Masechta, that if your animal has benefit, you pay for the benefit that it had. Now, obviously, that's less, because benefit is like, you know, how much money did you save on the next meal because of the fact that your animal comes back fed? So that's clearly less than the value of the produce itself. Yard that active Ezekiel, but if it just jumps, it goes right down into the garden in a normal way and damages, that obviously means you were negligent in the garden. Then you have to pay for the, the, the damage that was done. 
In what way do you assess damages? You look at the overall field, how much it was worth before it was damaged, how much after it was damaged. Meaning you pay the difference between the value in the field before and after the fruit were eaten. You don't pay the value of the produce on the market. That would be obviously more expensive. But we're going to learn about this, uh, that, that you evaluate it relative to the to the value of the field. That's the point. So you look at the overall field. No, you don't do that. Shimon says, you have to pay right produce. If it was the produce was a saw, you pay for the saw. How much is that saw of apples on the market? If it was two saw, then it's a sign you pay for two saw. So Shimon's point the hold in that you assess from the field and not the produce, that's only if it's unripe fruit. But if the produce was ripe, then you just pay the complete value um, as if, you know, it's already harvested. It's unconnected to the field. That's the point of Reb Shimon. The Gemara will explore more. So the basic is that he says, we're talking about someone who locked the gate properly, he's exempt from damage. What is properly and what's improperly? That is considered uh, proper. Common circumstances are remain guarded. That cannot stand the normal wind. That's where we say it's not proper. Says the Gemara. You, so what do we see over here? Just before we launch into it, we see that you don't need such a high level of shemir. Normal wind, right? You know, it's something that under normal circumstances won't do damage. You're good, but you don't have to guard it from uh, from from unusual sort of winds. So who is the Tana here that even a weaker, lower level of guarding suffices for a muad? Meaning we're talking about muad, right? Why we say we're talking about muad? Because it's going out and. And doing damage. We're not talking about Karen. It's talking about like a regular or a Shane. So that's like a Muad. So who says that Muad, Shmir Pusa works? So this brings us back to Dafim. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rebut, that's only Rebut. It's not. It says in Mishnah Kishor Balavam Moser, Ravonor ties an ox with the rain. When Olafana Kurai, he locks the gate properly. And Ratzalafana is it, and it still goes out and damages. Echotam Vachamuad Chai, Divramir. According to Ramir, your Chai was Tamar Muad. Because Ramir holds that both the Tam and the Muad need superior guarding. It has to be tied down with a chain or locked, it, locked in a one that can withstand an unusual wind. Ramir was Xeris Akatsev, remember. We learned that you need uh, for an ox. Otherwise, we hive on the Karen activities that it does, unless an amazing shmir was done. Rebuta says, no, Tom, hive. If it's a Tom, you're hive. Muad Pato. All the Torah says that the owner did not guard it. That means that as long as it was guarded, even if it was a basic level, you're good, you're Pato. So according to Rebuta, a basic level of shmir suffices for a Muad. Remember that tremendous irony for a Tom, you need a better shmir than you need for a Muad. What a hard idea. We explored that. The only way to guard it is with a knife. In other words, according to him, once an animal becomes a muad, you really expect it to slaughter it and not to keep it around. And unless you don't do that, then anything that happens, you're always liable. So what do we see? So our Mishnah would seem like it's only reviewed. Our Mishnah seems to say that a basic level of shmirah, just closing it in a way that a normal wind won't, won't, won't blow it down, that's good enough. So it would seem our Mishnah is, is Rebuda. So as the Gemara, if you look at we can say our Mishnah is Rameir as well. However, there's a difference between Karen and Shane Varego. Rameir was talking about Karen. Shiny Shane Varego. Our Mishnah is about Shane Varego. They're different. That's We see that the Torah actually reduces the level of Shmira that is required. It's the most fascinating thing. For a Karen, you expect her to guard it better from, for, against doing intentional damage than it is for Shane Varego. In other words, when you're guarding it from doing intentional, bizarre behavior that one trying to damage there, the Torah expects you to do more than against what is just the normal occurrences. Oh, we'll step on things as it goes, or <coughs> we'll eat things that it wants to eat. Where do we see this? There are four cases where the Torah reduces the level of guarding. Someone uncovers a bit or digs it and he doesn't cover it. What do we see? Covering a bit absolves you. 
Lamaitza, that's a very shmi b'chusa. The real way to get rid of a pit is to get rid of it, right? Get rid of it completely. That's the real way to remove the hazard. Stuff it up. The Zohar is saying, if I put a cover on top, I'm good. I saw what happened to the cover. It might get wormy. I'm blown away by an unusual wind. No, you see that, that a cover is a cover. And that, that exempts a person. So therefore... We see that the Torah is lenient on the level of Shemir for Bar. The one who makes the fire, who burns the fire, should pay. So what does that mean? He didn't necessarily do it. The Torah is telling you he has to do it like the one who kindles. In other words, he has to be negligent in guarding the fire. But if he took some precaution, so then he would not be liable. Notice Those are extra words. What we're basically saying, it's like, it has to be like you set the blaze on your neighbor's property. Now you didn't, right? You had the the fire on your property, you just didn't guard it, and it went out. But the point is, it has to be such gross negligence that you're not guarding of the fire was so negligent that it's as if you set your, you know, your friend's haystack ablaze. That's the point of the positive. But if I did a basic level of shmir and I took precautions and Lamaisa, something happened and went out, so it's not going to, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll say, okay, it's because of me, but you're not going to say it's like I went ahead and lit it and then I'd be bought there. Consumes another field. The owner is not liable unless he made it go and it and, and it would be here. Now, the point that the Gemara is saying is like that um, that it's referring to the like the person making him doing. It. And this is always a big lumbus over here. We always talk about this in Mabakamas. The shot that I'm hired for the hezek of my animal, or the shot is that I made the hezek by not watching it. It sounds like in the Gemara a little bit the latter. It's like I made it. It would be like I made it. The food be consumed by not watching it. So if, if, if I was totally negligent, you can say that. But if I did a basic shmirah, then you can't say that. Then it's just my animal did it. Regal the siv vishilach, and he sends his animal. The shavik in vishilach, mamish sends it. It doesn't just mean that the, the animal went out by itself. It means like I sent the animal. And again, that's only going to be gross negligence. How do we know the vishilach and ubir refer to vishilach? Regal, but time is vishilach. Regal, we have this in the base. Vishilach is regal to Omer Shalchei. Regal Asher Bachamar. It says in the pasuk, Meshalchei, the foot of the ox and the donkey. Ubir is Asher Bachinu Omer. Kashayiva Er Hagolal Tumos. The tooth consumes is the end. So we see that ubir is food eating. So we see time of the we see that it's only because he acted like one who sets forth or one who destroys. He's his negligence on such a high level. But if he doesn't act in that way, he would not be he would not be liable. Even if he just takes lesser precautions, he would not be liable for the damage which occurs. So now we could say that our mission is Ramey. Ramey is only talking about a guarding an ox from doing carrot. There you need the Shmir Mu'ula, but not by Shemirago. Uh, now that the Gemara has, has, has made that point, it comes out that it's very important. Our mission is only discussing Shane Varegel, not Karen, right? Because for Karen, you actually need a Shmir Mula. So, how do we see that? You could tell in the reading of our mission that we're talking about damages of Shane Varegel, not Karen, because the mission spoke about Son, sheep. We've always been referring to an ox. This is a sharp. Why don't we continue talking about ox? Why should on its own? Why are we talking about a sheep? I'm sure the Torah made The Torah is reducing the level of Shemira. This is just if you read the Pesukim carefully, you'll see that when the Torah talks about carrot, it always gives an example of an ox. When the Torah speaks of Shem Varegel, it doesn't specify an ox. It just says an animal. So that's the pshat. That's how the Mishnah is alluding to you that we're talking about Shem Varegel specifically because when we move away from the ox and we talk about the sheep. Now, just to clarify, that doesn't mean a sheep can't be half carrot, and it doesn't mean an ox can't have Shem Varegel. It just means. The Torah spoke about Karen, it used the word ox, which is probably why the Torah always used to speak about ox until, until this point of the Mazachla. The fact that now we suddenly switch to sheep, it's an indication, that's the point, it's an indication that we're moving to discuss Shein Varegel. The mission is telling you Shane Varegel are Muad Shmamino. What does that mean that it's telling you that Shane Varegel are Muad? So it seems what it's saying to say is that that's good for the Vart, is that what's normal behavior, I'm not expected 
to guard so much. That's exactly the point. It sounds like it's like ibchamistaver, but it's actually like it makes sense. In other words, what's normal about it? It's only when I'm negligent that we say, okay, you've done that. Otherwise, it's just the animals don't behave. That's what animals do. But when you're dealing with you know bizarre behavior, you're going to say, oh, that's just what animals do. That 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 that's on you, buddy. You got to you, you got to step up. Whatever your animal does is more on you. Just we'll little, start one little line. We'll, we'll leave for tomorrow. Tanya, Amr Bishua. Because we, we spoke about the robbers who breached the wall, so if they took it out, they'd be chayev. But if they just breached the wall, nobody's chayev, right? I'm not chayev because I guarded correctly, and they're not chayev because they don't have kinyanic neva. There are four cases where you cause loss, where your potter in Medina Adam, right? The court can't do anything to you. You're liable. Someone who breaches the wall in front of his friend's animal. So that causes the animal to go out and do damage. So no one's chayev. Someone who bends his friend's grain towards the fire. <coughs> so he causes it to be burned without doing a Maitzahazik. Someone who hires false witnesses to testify. Someone who knows that to testify that would benefit his friend and he doesn't do it for him. So these are four things where there's nothing that the court can do to you to punish you here, but you are liable.